Okay, well, sorry about that. Uh, so first thing on a Sunday morning, uh, here with Phil Masters, good morning. And good morning. you're on the uh, the Steve Jackson Games Men in Black stand. That's correct. Uh, so can you tell us what the Men in Black are? And uh, the, sorry, the Men in Black are the Steve Jackson Games company demo team, volunteer demo people. We are we go around from, between conventions, clubs, and so on, and demonstrate Steve Jackson Games games. Um, run, run the occasional tournament, keep in touch with people, stuff like that. Now you've written a lot of um, product for Steve Jackson games, mostly in the role playing side. Mm-hmm. Have you done any of these sort of cardboard games, that sort Not. of thing, or are you just into the demonstration of those? Um, I've mostly written for the role playing side. I've occasionally contributed ideas, sort of individual ideas. I think there was one card in one of the Munchkin sets that was my idea. But oh, right. <laughs> somewhere. But um, I'm really more of a role playing writer when it comes to it. So the, the demonstration of the card games for the demo team is entertaining. Um, gets me gives me an excuse to go to conventions, but. Um, it is very much a sideline in that respect. So is, uh, is producing something like a Munchkin card almost the equivalent of the old Monster Manual entry where the other thing would, uh, um, would crop up in a bigger product? Something like, something like that, yes. I, they're, they're, if you look on the Steve Jackson Games website, there is a place where you can suggest ideas for Munchkin cards or cards for other sets. And I put in... I can't remember which one it was, actually. I think it may have been the... I think it, it may have been the Exploding Kneecaps curse, actually. I think that, I'm responsible for Probably that. Probably so. Uh, I, I don't think I've actually hit that one, but I've only got the basics there. Mm-hmm. Now, as far as coming to conventions go, you've got a, a website with quite a lot of different aspects mm-hmm. to it and um, a frequently updated page listing UK conventions, particularly. Mm-hmm. So you see conventions, I presume, as a very important part of, of the hobby, or is it um, your... You're supporting your own business side of it with being a writer or a combination? Um, it's, they, on the convention site, there's a service to the hobby. Um, I don't, it's not a particularly difficult thing to maintain. I just keep track of the uh, flyers and add them, type them in once every, every couple of weeks or so. Um, that's simply that, uh, yes, I, I enjoy conventions. I think they do help the hobby. Um, as I'm writer in the, uh, as I do write for, write for the hobby, that I'm all in favour of the hobby getting more people involved. And uh, it's not particularly difficult to maintain. And there was when it started it was simply that a lot of UK conventions were happening without people being aware of them this hopefully makes people slightly more aware of them if I'm lucky yeah, well yeah I found a couple on it that I didn't know about because mm-hmm. I think a lot of things are regional even yeah. now mm-hmm. but you've got a situation where you're working with a company that's based in uh, Austin mm-hmm. in the USA uh, you're obviously not and uh, it's not the kind of business that tends to support jetting back and forth over the Atlantic <laughs> so no. presumably the internet email that sort of thing yes, has made life a lot easier for, for writers around the world um, yes I mean I, I think it's made the I mean writers have always been have always worked from home and have had dealings with publishers elsewhere in the world yeah. uh, as you say the role playing industry doesn't exactly support a lot of jet, jet, uh, transatlantic jet travel but uh, when I started the first book I wrote must have been, yes, must have been in the late 80s, and that involved sending a lot of diskettes, manuscripts, which then had to be typed up. It was a bit of an expensive and cumbersome process. Uh, by the early 90s, you could send it, you, the formats had settled, file formats had settled down, and you could send a diskette over, over the Atlantic, which saved a lot of postage. Within a few years, we had the uh, internet, and now, yes, all my manuscripts get delivered by email. So it does make like, things quite a bit easy it's more convenient and there's plenty of people who can't remember what a diskette is <laughs> it's, uh, it's all very much press a button yeah uh, yes I mean yes I uh, terrifying thought that yes I, I my computer these days doesn't have a two and a half inch diskette drive this seemed very strange only a few years ago yeah I know exactly what you mean but then it was a big step forward when I thought hey this one doesn't take a tape <laughs> But I'm sure they're all consigned to the punch cards and, uh, and the same. Don't think history. anybody ever delivered a manuscript on punch card, though I wouldn't be surprised. Perhaps they're still finishing it up. It might be a while <laughs> process. Then. 
Yes, uh, when I started in the computer, I was worked in the computer business back in the 80s, and yes, I did occasionally work in, with punch cards in those days, and no, I was not sorry to see them go. <laughs> There's seen a lot of parallels with, with the computers, um, particularly home computing side of things, and role-playing games, and that they both started in a similar sort of time and seemed to open up very quickly, where it was sort of anybody could become a, a big computer games or computer software producer. And it was almost the same thing with role-playing games. It seemed as if you were dealing with a huge company, and then you'd discover it was somebody above a catering business in Rochdale or something. Mm -hmm. And do you think that's gone, or has the computer, uh, the internet and so on coming out actually meant that it's just exploded, there's more of it? Um, well, I mean, the early days, were certainly with the computer business and the role-playing business, obviously when, you, when the industry is just starting, anybody can get in the ground floor, and as you say, a lot of quite small companies uh, were founded and... Uh, a lot of companies still run on far fewer people than, uh, the, 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 than gamers think. I think a lot of role-playing role games still have vague images of a sort of giant factory somewhere with printing presses in the basement and so on, which, yeah. which is completely untrue. And, um, at least one <coughs> uh, fairly significant-sounding company with major media licenses is sort of two people over a shop somewhere in New England, I think. Um, but uh, these days, it's still easy to... Because of the uh, home computer technology and the internet, yes, it's, it's, these days it's still easy to publish games, despite the fact that the industry has matured a bit, not that it's exactly as big as the computer business, but um, on the other hand, you do have now have established companies and um, there's less of a sense of anybody being able to look as big as everybody else because uh, you do actually have uh, company names that have been around for a few years, and um, that's aside from the, well... The four hundred pound gorilla and the two hundred pound vampire gorilla. Um, actually, with the I wonder which is scarier, though, a vampire gorilla. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's not an image I actually wanted to think about very much. Really. Not not dressed in black and feeling depressed. Um, well, uh, supposedly men in black, but um, in fact, sort of uh, men in lightweight summer jackets. I, I suppose that doesn't sound as uh, mysterious and menacing. No, I. Uh, I was embarrassed to realise yesterday that the other men in black had all shown up in black and I'd shown up in, like you say, lightweight summer jackets. But people do take these things so literally, though, yeah, so, yeah. you're bringing a new spin to. Mm -hmm. Do you think that with um, the fact that you're, you're freelancing for companies primarily in the United States, I presume, since that's where the, the bulk of uh, role-playing games are produced, are they interested in, in a particularly English spin on things? I mean, one of your early books, something like Kingdom of Champions, mm. quite clearly it's, it's the, uh, the superhero book for the hero system about the United mm. Kingdom. Now, you don't tend to see quite so many of those things prominently. Mm. They do proper periodically. But is there a difference, do you think, in the way an English writer approaches these ah, things? I'm not sure there's a huge difference, to be perfectly honest. I think there's... I mean, you do get local subcultures and approaches, but that's tends to be at the much smaller scale of, of people in local groups get their own habits and ideas about how you run games. Um, so you don't find there's something where you, you submit something and it comes back saying, actually, we, we've no idea what you're talking about here. We don't nah, do no, not, not, not particularly. I mean, obviously, you, know, you have to, get to put your, set your spell checker to American spellings and uh, right. every now and again there will be a, that, that is, a, that is a, a, a Britishism and could you change it to this for the Americanism? Most of got that under control now, having been writing for American companies for a few years. But, but it, it, it's more minor editorial it's minor, stuff. It's, than it's a, a more scale stuff, yeah. Right. Um, no, I mean, there's occasionally somebody will ask for a supplement about the UK and um, that is occasionally an opportunity for a British writer to get in, get in and uh, take the job. That said, the, I can think of at least one Steve Jackson Games book the, for the World, World War II line a few years back which was actually produced by an American writer because there was, they couldn't find a 
British writer with a, an interest in A GURPS and B World War Two, which was obviously oh. a bit of a speci- specialised requirement. So, yeah, you know, I, I suppose in a way GURPS has a problem with that, in that it's the it's the, the big generic game that, particularly in the third edition, had supplements covering almost everything. And yet, in a way, each one is a specialised game. Mm. And when you start to then expand the the sub games, like World War Two, had several mm. different supplements. Uh, it's becoming quite focused. Uh, mm-hmm. So I suppose you've got the same writers being pulled on all the time to actually... Uh, mm-hmm. um, some of the time. And these days, of course, the GURPS line is a bit slower production rate. Um, it was... Uh, yeah, some of the, the specialisations in that were a combination of finding people who were interested in the subject and finding people who, who were interested enough to research it, even if they weren't particularly uh, expert to begin with. Uh, a number of the old GURPS historical supplements were clearly pe- produced by people who happened to have an interest in a particular period of history. It worked very well for that, I mean. Um, and you edited the two Who's Who volumes, I think. That's you know, right, yeah. To the, uh, to the historical figures and mm-hmm. um, yeah. were the fictional characters in there as well? Uh, no, purely historical figures. Historical and that, that, yes, I mean, those are very much. Those are very much, you know, people had an interest in a particular historical character and read enough about him that they could do a, uh, do a two page entry on him. It can require a huge amount. And yes, you usually you find a room full of gamers and you usually find people with an interest in enough interest in a given bit of history that they can produce a couple of pages on it. Do you think there's, um, with, with um, the number of games out there and the fact that we've had very successful generic games that can do anything, that people are either struggling to find a new angle to produce a game or we're getting a lot more niche products with very little support and, and they're saying, OK, this game does this and that's all it's going to do and then we'll produce another game. That's have you seen any trend? Well, in the indie, the whole indie game scene, which I'm not particularly an expert on, I have to say, uh, does seem to be built around this idea of uh, producing games very much focused on a, a niche, sometimes even a sort of single plot. Yeah. Um, and that is I think that's more a question of style and that particular group of people subculture whatever you want to call it having decided they, that that was, a, that was a way to approach things um, I don't think that was a, an attempt to sort of focus on specific areas that hadn't been covered so much as a, as a specific idea about the way to go being to focus very tight, focus the game very tightly mm-hmm. which is a particular design philosophy that works for some people and uh, that's fair enough. We've sort of seen it with magazines as well, that in the late 70s, early 80s, um, White Dwarf, Dragon, Space Game, and so on, they're very general magazines mm. with perhaps a focus, oh, we're going to cover fantasy gaming or science fiction, mm-hmm. and, and we'll leave the, the other field to somebody else. But you didn't tend to get, we're going to cover just our own games, or mm-hmm. just games in this very narrow field. Well, and that's really changed. The, the, the fewer print magazines that there are around, they seem to become much more special. Well, I mean, the, the whole print magazine field, with one or two exceptions that won't survive on particular reasons, has uh, the, the internet has rather uh, played havoc with that. That's to be honest. I mean, the print magazine market, to be honest, was always a bit marginal. Uh, apart from Dragon, which obviously had the D and D official support thing going for it, um, print magazines. If you look at the history, of, and White Dwarf, which started out for the first hundred issues as the uh, generic. Uh, second generic magazine and then uh, well, the second magazine in the field and very generic then actually focused down but if you look at apart from those from the fairly early days um, magazines always tended to come and go and if, uh, I think the accounts were, you know, the, the profit margins were always marginal on them for magazines mm-hmm. uh, to, be actually, no, to be precise actually even back then you had things like Journal of the Travellers A Society which was about one game um, the hero um Hero System magazine, his name eludes me momentarily. Uh, that was uh, the Adventurers Club. Correct, thank you. Um, things like those were always around. They were obviously aimed at, as you say, supporting specific products. Um, these days, yes, I mean, the, uh, the only reason to do 
magazine these days, a paper magazine these days, is to support a specific game. And if the publisher is going to be supporting that, they'll want their game supported. They won't want a huge amount of generic coverage. And to be honest, insofar as there was a call for things like White Dwarf or Space Gamer, that was because people wanted a general source of information about the hobby. These days they can go to the internet for it. I think the, the days of the generic paper magazine, I'm afraid, no... No ill will for anybody trying to launch one, but it's not something I not something I'd risk my money on, and uh, I don't think it's really cool for it. Well, I remember Steve Jackson games particularly; they've always been very good at things like their where we're going and mm-hmm. stakeholder reports and letting people know how the company's doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it was 1985 or six when Space Gamer they sold to somebody else and mm-hmm. basically said they're selling 100,000 copies of Dragon and we're selling 6,000 copies of Space Gamer. And let's be honest, we're in, we're a games company; we can no longer afford to do this. Mm-hmm. So it's not a new phenomenon, but Quite clearly, the internet's been a, uh, a fairly serious nail in the coffin. Yeah, I mean, which, which is a shame if you enjoy sort of sitting and reading something in the bath. Uh, yeah, well, wait for the next generation of water, waterproof wireless uh, web browser. Well, you're getting on the ground floor. Yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, hardware stereotypes about gamers and bathing. Perhaps mm. it's not a market to even bother looking. No, well, um, I suppose it's one to one to read while walking to work or. Uh, Attach it to bicycle handlebars or something, I don't know. From a safety point of view, I'd, I'd dread to think no, um, probably, yeah. probably a bad idea, really. So, what's your view generally of the expo? Were you here for the first one last year? I, I was here last year and more, I just came along as a member last year and was more low profile. It's a very promising convention. I'm, I, obviously, it's not primarily a role playing convention, though there's role playing off in some rooms. I haven't managed to track down this year because we've been busy demoing Munchkin. And uh, fact, we were actually playing RuneQuest behind you because we, we, we were overcrowded in one of the ah. playing rooms, and so we ended up um, mm-hmm. in the noisiest venue yeah. I've ever done. But it's, uh, no, it's it's a good it's a good general games convention. It's it's not the same as the sort of conventions which a lot of people will go to to play role playing games. So some people have come here for this and enjoyed it. Um, we're currently we're uh, we've got tables in the trade hall here, and we've been demoing the card games, trying to uh, demo a full-scale role-playing game in this situation is uh, not really a uh, viable option. Making some tentative attempts that hasn't really gone anywhere. So is the, the general games convention, uh, in your experience, you, you go to a lot of conventions and write about them, is it a fairly small area? Are people quite specialised in conventions normally? And do you see this as a promising... Uh, I get to role-playing conventions. I, I don't, to be honest, get to a lot of other uh, lot of other conventions. I do occasionally come in for some, and this one has caught my attention and looked interesting. has been... I, gather, I mean, this one is obviously nothing like as big as Essen in the States. For the benefit of anybody who doesn't know about Essen in the States, I haven't been to it myself, but it is an absolutely vast general games convention held over in... Sorry, not the States. Germany. Yes, Germany. Germany. Yeah. Germany. Except for the time there. Um, I'm sure the Germans will let you off for that one. Um, yeah, I don't suppose I'll actually declare war over it. But, um, no, the uh, Essen over in Germany is uh, an absolutely vast general convention, uh, which we don't have anything like in this country. Um, this convention, although it's currently a lot smaller than Essen, is, is sort of aiming for aiming for a similar similar sort of atmosphere, and I think is, is moving towards it. And I hope they grow. And I wish them luck. Um, and they do seem to have a lot of families coming in, and the I mean, which I suppose is quite good if you're demoing things like Munchkin and uh, Super Munchkin, Trump, colourful family games that yeah. catch kids' attention. Yeah, um, that certainly it's it's this convention can cover family games very very comfortably, and uh, seems to be doing so quite successfully. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think this is good for. Good for the, the gaming hobby in the broader sense and good for getting new people in. Um, I don't think it's, it's not the same as Dragon Meat, which is an RPG focused convention. It's not the same as the smaller, uh, very, very much gaming oriented conventions, which I think will still have their place. But um, it, it's, 
it's a it's a promising setup, and it's I think it's it's been it's been well done. It's people seem to be enjoying it from what I've seen. Well, thank you very much indeed for your time. Um, it's starting to ramp up a bit here towards the ten o'clock opening, which must be uh, any minute now. So, uh, uh, so before you uh, you need to actually get cards out and uh, get people together. Thank you very much for your time again, you, and I uh, hope the rest of the day goes well for you. Thank you for asking.